Welcome to Just a Chat With, a video podcast series where we talk branding and creativity with the world's best in class. In this podcast, we hope to inspire creativity and bravery in you. This podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with the One Club for Creativity and powered by Made Brave, a global strategic brand agency. We help brands find their brave. Hey guys, Andrew Doby here and welcome to this episode of Just a Chat With. In our previous episode, we spoke to Alex Dickens, who's the head of brand at Grenade. Alex has been working at Grenade for the last eight years, starting out as a junior graphic designer. We talked about how he got started at Grenade, how he gets the best out of his creative team and what the Grenade brand stands for beyond the product. We had a brilliant time with Alex, so if you haven't watched already, go and check that out. Before now, we've had people on the podcast like Michael Wolf, Chris Doe from the future and Debbie Millman, host of Design Matters. In today's episode, though, I spoke with Adam Morgan, who's the Executive Creative Director at Adobe. With over 25 years of experience in marketing with a focus on creativity, strategy, and storytelling, Adam has produced several award-winning campaigns. He's also named as 40 Under 40 Up-and-Coming Professionals by Utah Business Magazine, and in 2020, Ad Week named him as one of the top 100 creative minds in the world, influencing advertising media and culture. If that wasn't enough, he's also written a book called Sorry Spock, Emotion Drives Business and hosts his very own podcast, Real Creative Leadership, which talks about the issues, challenges and benefits of creative leadership. We talked all about his book, how he wrote that and how he leads the creative teams at Adobe. This is a very interesting episode and I hope you enjoy it. Well, Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm very, very excited uh, about this episode. I've been really enjoying reading all about you. You're one of the most interesting creatives that I've come come across. And um, obviously, Adobe is a a company I've admired for many years, um, like you, having worked with these tools for years and years and years. It's always nice to meet people from the the Adobe family. It always seems like a very nice brand and kind of culture as a business. Um, I I suppose just to kind of kick us off, um, your, your executive creative director, at Adobe, can, can you maybe talk us through a little bit about your role, and then maybe maybe even how you got to 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 to, to in that position that you are in now? All right, sure. So yes, as a, as executive creative director, I manage a lot. Like really, let me back it up here. At Adobe, there are two different um, really groups of business. There's all of the creative tools that you're used to, Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign. But we also have a lot of other products that are for um, enterprise and more B2B. And they're targeted towards marketers. And it's everything sure. from Adobe Analytics to, um, you know, Target and, you know, campaign managers and advertising. There's like a slew of just different uh, marketing software. So... What I work on, I work on the the enterprise side of the house. So what we do as the creative group is we pretty much are the expression of the brand. And mm-hmm. so that includes all the, all the execution of creative. So if it's the website, videos, emails, banner ads, TV spots, everything in between, thought leadership, articles, all of that good stuff. So my team manages all of the, all of the outward facing uh, customer content. Well, so it's a 
pretty, pretty um, a, a role with a lot of responsibility. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. And, 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 and you've always been a creative person. Were you kind of at school when you were growing up? Were you, were, were you kind of part of a kind of creative family? Was that encouraged when you were young? Uh, I wouldn't say that my family was creative um, necessarily, but I actually, funny thing enough, I went to university to become a chemical engineer. And it was all about, you know, I was very into the sciences, very into uh, more data and stuff. And when I was at school, and, and the reason why I wanted to do that is because I wanted to invent something. I wanted to come up with the next big whatever and realize that that would maybe happen once in my lifetime. And I hated being in the lab. So I started looking at other ways where I could just come up with ideas. And that's where I landed in advertising. Um, and I've loved it. Like just the thrill of concepts and ideas. And, you know, I went through all the same questions of what role should I do? And should it be a designer or a writer or a strategist or whatever? And over my career, I've done all of those things. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I guess I found myself uh, in the creative pursuits. I mean, as a kid, I did lots of creative stuff, but it wasn't like, I don't know, it always seems like we can track it back to some youth exercise, but it really, like, I really kind of discovered myself in college. And then since then I worked for, I mean, it's been 26 years being in the industry, which feels like a long time. And it's, you know, I've, I've worked at a variety of different places from big agencies to little boutique agencies that focused on the outdoor recreation to big brands and small startups and everything between. So it's been quite a ride of, of really building content and stories for so many different brands over those 26 years. Yeah. And, and so did you, if I'm right in saying you started off as a copywriter, is that yep. where you kind of, yeah. And how, how did you land your first role as a copywriter? Uh, the, the way I broke into the industry was interesting. So when I was in, in college, I ended up um, creating a college advertising competition and then invited all the creative leaders from all the agencies in the state to come judge the work. <clears throat> and just had a lot of great work in there. So one agency kept turning, you weren't supposed to turn over and see who did it. You're just supposed to judge it. They kept turning it over and seeing that it was, my name was on it. And so afterwards I got a job offer uh, and started working at agency before I graduated. So I just finished up my last year of school at night. So that's how I broke in to the agency scene is just kind of setting up an opportunity for myself by uh, creating a competition. But uh no, I like it. I like it because there's a, you know, there, there's a way we have a lot of young listeners that, um, young creatives that are still trying to find the roles. And I think it's always interesting to hear how people break in and it, it never seems to be the same journey. You know, it, mm. no two stories are the same. I think, um, you, you mentioned as well that you've kind of, you've kind of dotted around in terms of you've done all these different roles now. And how have you found, do you think that's advantageous to you as a, a creative person now having, you know, I read somewhere on your website, you, uh, you, you feel you've got this nice balance of strategic mind and creative mind. And you, was it middle brain you, yeah, you wrote about? I did yeah. write about that, that so, I'm a central brainer, but even though that's not true, yeah, central brainer. Exist, it's a total lie. But, um, what it does mean to me is like, and I learned this early on that the reality is this process in your brain of going, of strategy, of really thinking through, looking at problems in new ways and at different angles is very, very similar to the creative process of trying to come up with a new idea and looking at it in different ways. So to me, a lot of it is, is the same muscle that I've been learning over the years. 
But I'd say like early on in your career when you're, has it been advantageous? Absolutely. I mean, you, it's almost like when I've been looking at all of these career paths and helping people on my team and others grow, the first chunk of your career is really figuring out the craft and whether that's getting really, really good at writing or really, really good at design or really good at videography, whatever that may be. Um, it's really about all those hard skills and learning those. And I think once you get to the big leap over into um, being a creative leader or creative director or whatever it may be, you really need to understand all of those disciplines. And then it becomes all of the soft skills and the selling and the organization and all of that as a creative leader. But I think you almost have to dabble in all of those different disciplines in order to be a decent creative leader. Mm. So you can guide all of those, Absolutely. all of those roles. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, such a good point. And um, obviously in, in your role now as executive creative director, then how, how much hands-on are you? Obviously you'll, you'll, you'll be leading a, a very large team. How much do you still get down and, and sort of on the tools, if you like, or are you just, are you just there as, to inspire and kind of direct and kind of help motivate? I think the days of just being um, a creative director that doesn't, isn't a working creative leader is long gone. I think you have to balance both, but I think it's also important to not micromanage. So the way I balance it all is let's say a good chunk of my day is leading and guiding the team and giving feedback and helping with, you know, HR issues, whatever it may be. And then there's another chunk of my mm -hmm. day that's all about kind of vision in the future. So it's working on the brand and where are we going and what are things. So those, that area gives me an opportunity to still be kind of creative and working on things without, yeah. you know, crushing anyone else's projects below me. So I want to give them enough space to, to drive their creative. And so sometimes, you know, another solution is sometimes they'll just be, when there are a lot of projects, I'll just take one on myself and just focus on that. And that's a way that yeah. I can <clears throat> still keep your, you know, your saw sharp but not step on anyone else and, and take away their dreams of, of doing great creative. And at the same time, still, you know, being in the arena and being able to drive stuff and also, you know, guide and direct without getting so out of the weeds that you forget how it's done. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause if, as you do sort of elevate in these roles into management and leadership, um, you know, I found it myself. I, I was a graphic designer. Mm -hmm. I was a photographer and, you know, I, I get a lot of the kind of the happiness in my heart when I'm, playing with these tools and kind of being creative and now leading a business, you know, my business employs about 70 people. And obviously a lot of what I end up doing can be HR or can, can be these other elements. And I think I've kind of always sometimes just blocked off days and said, let me just be creative. <laughs> I need, I need some time just to, 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 to not do those other things and to, to, to do some creativity. And I think, I think it's important to find that blend, isn't it? And, and still make sure you're getting to do some of the stuff you love. Well, and, so this is a, it's, this is a conundrum and I really see a lot of creatives struggle with this because the reason we got into this business is we love creativity. We love the act of designing or writing or whatever it may be. And then we get up to this leadership role and there's less of it, but there are other elements that are important and part of it. But I think that <clears throat> there really needs to, like, we, we need to come to some maturity in our industry because I don't know how to say it. it like, the other acts of creative leadership are just as important, but we almost mm. vilify them. We vilify organizing the operations or getting, you know, you know, a, a good creative culture in place with the business and company or selling things through. And, and really, if we don't have that, then the good creative is not going to happen. And so often yeah. we're so focused on like, 
I did a survey with creative leaders. It was like a year ago. It was like 300 plus creative leaders around the United States. And it was just talking about creative career paths and, and where you should go. And it's like a third of us feel like hitting creative director is the ultimate. Like that's the end of your career. Like that's the top. And now, then there was a third that felt like after they got up high enough, they didn't want to deal with all the red tape and all the monotony of, of operations, whatever, whatever it is. And so they go back to being just freelance creative directors or freelance, whatever, just to get back into the craft. And then there is one third that, that was, you know, more focused on, you know, is there a path beyond just being a creative director? And certainly some of them went to startups and started their own companies as the CEO. Very few moved yeah. to CMO, but it is still possible. But anyhow, my point is like a majority of us feel like <clears throat> it's do the work or die. And I think absolutely, like you said, you've got to find your creative outlet. Like I write books on the side or I, you know, mm. work on other things on the side. Like you, you still have to find that creative outlet, but you also have to understand that we're almost our worst enemy in growth for creative leaders because we get up to that point and then we just kind of give up and want to go to freelance or just think, ah, this is it. And so we don't, you know, mm -hmm. it's like the only good path is to stay in the work. Whereas I feel like there's so much more to a creative leader in getting mm -hmm. up there and Absolutely. changing the industry and changing culture and changing how companies make decisions around creativity and how do you make, you know, give creativity a bigger seat at the table. Like that's been my quest is how do we mm. mature as creative leaders and start really playing at the same level as a, you know, a lot of other you know, leaders out there in business who frankly are just like really ruling the roost, right? And we're, if this is the era yeah. of, of experiences and the biggest differentiator for brands is, is to create great experiences. And we as creatives who have trained our brains to understand the emotions and all of the context of, of customers, like it, it really is on us to up-level you know, our leadership skills and move beyond and really put value on those soft skills as creative leaders and not just the work. I mean, the work is super, super important, but we also have to get out of our, our creative yeah. cave and be like, all right, I've really got to, how, how do I look at the bigger picture of creative maturity and help guide that in so many other different ways mm. and value that so that other creatives behind us are going to come and say, yeah, you know what? I want to understand finance and understand operations and other, other things so that I can make the, the world a better place through creativity rather than just kind of rolling your eyes back and saying, all right, I'm going to go back to freelance and just get back to the work. And that's the only value. And that was a little bit of a diatribe. Yeah, no, but no, no, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I'm kind of, it's echoing a lot of like, like you know, because early in my um, business journey, when year two of our agency, I gave the studio to a creative director because I said, that's yours to own. And I'm not going to touch the work that goes through the studio. I want you to have the autonomy on that. And I've taken great pleasure in kind of how do I grow the best creative culture? How to create a business that empowers the best creativity? And I think it's, it's like you say, like, once you level up from the work, there's so many challenges that you can apply creativity to that can give you great purpose in, in the work that you do. Um, and I think it's just trying to find those ways of doing it. And, you know, I, I also take great pleasure in growing the brand of my mm -hmm. agency. And it's it's nothing to do with the work, but it, it gives me a plaything of how well, how, how can I do this and how can I do this differently um, than anyone else has, has uh, done so before. Now, I'm, I'm so interested to talk about your book. So for those listening... Um, your book, Sorry, Spock, Emotions Drive Business. Um, I just wonder if you can talk to, to our listeners, tell them a little bit about that, Adam, how that came to be and, and, and what the book covers. Oh, yeah. So this, it started back before I joined Adobe when I was in the agency world. I just had some, 
you know, I was talking with uh, one of my old, old creative directors about how I'm working with certain clients. And one came to me and said, Hey, I believe in creativity, but my boss doesn't, my boss is a salesperson. And it's just all about, you know, just tell the information and tell it straight and, and move on. And I was just struggling with that. Like, how do I prove to this, you know, my boss, my client's boss, that creativity actually is important and it is valuable. And so it started this two or three year research um, quest to try and find a good answer for that. And in the end, because I wanted to just find like a nice book or a nice something and just say, here it is, you know, here's how you prove the value of creativity. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I found bits and pieces all over, but I couldn't find the whole thing. So I ended up just writing the book. And um, mm. the, the point of it is it's, it's, here's the thing, like whenever you talk about creativity, it's so subjective and, you know, some people can take this one campaign and turn, turn it into a reason why strategy is important. Another person can spin that campaign and, you know, into data or into the creative or whatever it may be. And so it's so hard to say, how do yeah. I prove that creativity is good for business um, just through the creative? So instead I turn to hard science, <clears throat> neuroscience, other studies, like how do we understand the brain? How does that relate to creativity? How does that prove it out? And so by using something that's non-subjective, like science, to say, let's dig into this. And we've got so many good studies and so many good things now. I mean, even beyond that book, I just have a list of all of these um, pieces of data as proof that we can use to show why creativity is actually good for business. So that, that was the point of the book. Prove that creativity does impact the bottom line. It does impact decision making. It does impact all of those things in a very substantial way. So that those who are also struggling with whether it's a client or internal stakeholders or, you know, a CFO who won't give you the money to go out and do the campaign because he just thinks that it's just a waste. How do you prove that creativity and marketing is an investment, not an expense? And that was really the, the whole idea of the book is just to give that foundation for everyone so that we don't have to have that argument over and over and over. And I feel like we're moving into this new era of creativity where that is being accepted. And there are, like I said, so many more studies and ways. Yep. It's like, at least in my career, like in the nineties was the heyday of creativity. We could just do everything crazy. And then it hit the 2001.com bubble. And we were doing all sorts of creative stuff that wasn't, you know, necessarily grounded in, in solid strategy. And then the, in the odds, like the, the whole thing swung the other way. And it was like, suddenly data driven was the whole answer. And everyone thought, Oh, forget creativity. We've got data. We don't need to be silly anymore. We can just be solid. <clears throat> and now it's like swinging back to the middle where it's like this perfect balance of, you know, data and creativity of both of them working together to make amazing experiences. So that's, that's where I feel like we're getting there. But um, anyhow, if someone needs the ammo, that's the, that's the book to help prove out why creativity matters. And, you know, what, what are some of the takeaways then that you, you can give to, to people to use as ammunition then if, they, if they're in that situation, they're having to prove why creativity works? Well, that's a, to tell you that in two sentences, I'll try. But normally, what I really did is dug into like a lot of deep science. But here's here's some basic truths. First of all, data alone won't cut it, or logic alone won't cut it. Like it's really this battle between logic and and, and emotions in our brains and in all everything. Right? Yeah. Should we just be straight up logical, or should we try and be emotional and creative? And I go through a whole bunch of studies of why logic won't cut it. And if you remove emotion out of it, you know, study after study that show that, that, um, that's not the answer. Um, and then when you really think about, um, well, here's some other, it, it's hard for me to t tell you the whole thing. Like it'd take a half an hour to really dig into the, the science behind it. But 
the short of it is emotions play a huge part in decision-making and in purchases, but it's like the right time and place. And usually a good rule of thumb is <clears throat> if it's a complex decision, like buying a car or a couch or a house or something where there are a lot of variables, absolutely emotion is going to be the, the biggest factor. And that's because the reality is emotion is just concentrated form of logic from the past. Like all your past decisions are put into an emotion inside you. And so it's not like just this animal instinct that we have to get rid of. It's really like highly concentrated, packaged up a whole bunch of choices that we've had in the past. So that's why emotion plays a big part. If it's like a low, like few variables, like they've done studies on like vegetable peelers. If it's just like a color and a handle shape, logic is your, is your answer. Like just go straight in with being very direct and logical. And the reason why, like, if you think about like a house, like a house purchase is so emotional. It's like when you walk in, you walk into the house and all of a sudden you look around and you're like, oh, this just feels right. And you just have that feeling. But really what's happening behind the scenes is your brain is going, all right, I like open concept. I like, like a lot light. I don't like um, kitchens that are this way because of this one experience in the past, or I don't like, you know, this certain type of layout or this certain type of room. Like there's just all these thousands of logical choices that have happened in the past and your body just communicates that quickly through an emotion. And you're like, okay, this either feels right or it doesn't feel right. And so, you know, trusting your gut is actually really valuable. And for many years we've been talking about, oh, don't trust your gut, trust the data, but you really are a huge data machine. So anyhow, short answer is in a lot of those things, it's really understanding what's really happening in the, in the decision and what's really happening in that experience. And then un knowing that the emotion mm -hmm. is really a super valuable item and then it's going to help make better decisions mm -hmm. and better purchases. And so going through that whole process of writing the book and doing all that research, did you come across anything that can, can help guide making better creative decisions or a, a better creative process? Uh, yeah, I, I would say in decision making. So let's, let's break down the creative process. The creative process has traditionally always been like, go out there and get a bunch of stimulus or a bunch of fodder, right? And fill the well. And then start making mm -hmm. new connections, right? You're, you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to put A and B and B to C. And, you know, first you, it's like you research all about your, your client or the product and then start making all these creative things. And then you just kind of let it rest. And this eureka moment will happen when your subconscious is kind of mulling things over. And then, and then you have your big creative idea. So if you really understand that process and the reason why that's happening is like, honestly, there is a lot still happening under the hood in your subconscious brain rather than your your um, yeah. conscious brain or your prefrontal cortex that is like really trying to force fit things to happen. Um, the same can mm -hmm. be said about making decisions about creative. So here, there's a big insight. A lot of times you'll go through that whole process and finally make that leap. And then you go and present it to someone and they're just looking at their checklist of all the 10 items they want it to cover. And in the middle of the meeting, they're like, yes, no, 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 done. Like, and just think that it's good leadership to just quickly make that decision and, and call it a day. Right. Whereas as I researched, there were a lot of great yeah. leaders who took the opposite of that creative process to make a decision, meaning they need to give that space to make the connections with their subconscious, right? So I've seen mm -hmm. a lot of leaders, I heard stories about leaders as well, where it's like, you come in a meeting and we're not gonna make any decision, but we're just gonna present the information. Then we're gonna let it sit the night and the next day we'll, we'll make the decision mm -hmm. better. Or it doesn't mean like it has to take time too. Mm -hmm. Like there are people who are very intuitive thinkers who can make those leaps during the meeting just by seeing like the value of, 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 uh, of new connections rather than going in with preconceived notion inside of the meeting and then just like making sure they find the one that hits their check mark, right. Or their checkbox. 
Mm-hmm. So there are ways of using the creative process in your decision making as a creative leader or as a business leader and really just yeah giving giving enough space to trust new ideas and to let them sit for a little while and then and then let your subconscious make the right connections and and then go with the right one. Yeah and I, I, I suppose that's kind of why we ended up with the phrase you know let's mm-hmm. sleep on it don't we so many so many people say let's sleep on it and I, you know I'm always a big believer of you've kind of got to go through the pain of this brainstorming and you feel very frustrated and you feel like nothing's happening but you're exploring lots of different ideas that you're kind of joining things together but then you need to go away and do nothing I was writing a post about it the other day you're obviously thought about this a hell of a lot more than I have, but I, I, I really do believe that you you need that time to do nothing, to go for a shower, to go for a walk, and then suddenly yep. it comes, yep. doesn't it? And you you feel like it comes from nowhere, but it's actually coming from the, unsub- the subconscious brain doing yep. all that work and churning all that data that you've, you've consumed. Totally. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I also like to point, uh, I think it was on, I was listening to your, one of your podcasts and you talked about... Um, the, the, the sort of importance of knowing the difference between data and mm. insight um, and why it's essential to know the difference. And you had a really nice way of explaining it. Um, you had a Dove mm. example and there was, there was another example. I just wonder if you can recall those and, and, and talk our audience through oh, those. sure. So there is still a struggle with a lot of creatives and data um, right now where some feel like it's a threat because it may lead you down a path that's not the creative path that you want to go down or, you know, whatever it may be. And so I, I think... Mm. For creatives to really understand the value of, of data, or even not just creatives, just anyone in general, of like what data is versus insight versus what, where, where the role is for all of it. And like I said before, when when that pendulum swung and everyone was like, we're data driven, we have the answers, we don't need to, you know, I remember there was this one post from someone on LinkedIn, and they're like, we don't need creativity, we've got this. And he drops the bomb and says, you know, mic drop. And all it was was just a link to this new analytics company that was like, okay. I work at Adobe, like one of the, you know, one of the largest analytics companies in the world. Like we understand analytics just because you can measure something doesn't mean creativity is lost or or not needed. So the value of it all is like, there is a lot of data out there. There's so much data. And you've heard it's like, you know, sometimes we measure everything that doesn't mean it's worth value. And so knowing what the right things are to Mm -hmm. measure and what value, all you're really trying to do is to understand people, right? If, if, if I look at it from like my creative Mm -hmm. perspective, all the statistics in the world won't do me any good unless I find those insights, unless I find the value. And really it comes down to human insights. So, and that's a good, that's like strategy, right? When you talked about strategy and creativity being similar. So with strategy, you just want to find out what they care about, right? It's not just a matter of saying, like in some of those Dove examples, it was like, I think it was something, it wasn't even our agency, it was someone else. It was like, all right, 45% of women feel like they, you know, when they're um, mothers, they just feel like they're, lost and not themselves. Right. And so that may take you down a path of like, okay, we need to help them feel good about themselves or feel like they're powerful or whatever it may be. And that's just, that's data. And we could have a lot of statistics that we, if we use in the wrong way, we'll just take it down the wrong path. But it's really the insights when they uncovered the right insight, it was the insight was mothers feel like they're giving so much to the kids and others around them that they've lost themselves. And so really that insight is like, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, it's really a matter of like, how do you care for yourself? And when you care for yourself and you take care of yourself and you give time for yourself, then you have the energy and strength to do everything else you need to in this world. So it's, it's really about finding those human insights. So dig through the right data in order to find the insight. And even at Adobe, that's what it is. It's like, 
all this behavioral data, all of this quantitative data, all of this, whatever. It's like only good if it's, we really understand what I call like triggers, what people truly care about. If your audience is really passionate yeah. about X or they really care about that other thing, then once you get that insight, then the creative can just go wrap an emotional experience around that story or around that insight. And that's where you're going to resonate with the audience. Mm. That's where it's going to come together of like the data giving you the insight and then the insight influencing the creative. So there's a role for it all to play together and it fits together nice. But when we like try and move things out of it, we go straight from data to execution and we skip the insight part, or we say we get to the insight and then just serve that up directly and, and rationally as just the answer. Then we miss the whole emotional creative part. Then we're just going to be missing out. So it's like really having all of those ingredients together to make the, the, the perfect combination. I love it. I love it. I love it. And you, I also read you were you mentioned that you know that you feel that like everyone can learn to be better at creativity. You know, I, I'm always a big believer that everyone's creative. You get a lot of people say I'm not creative, but you like you can inspire it and you can change that thought in people. And I love it when you start to see them think of themselves as creative. And I'm interested to know how how, how can people learn to be better at creativity. I think you were you nailed the first part, which is just recognizing it. Right. I remember. I was at some conference and I was sitting next to a developer and you probably get this all the time where they're like, you're the creative, you come up with the idea or you do the thing, or I can't do this because I'm not creative. Right. And it's really sad. Like we all start out that way. I think I truly believe creativity mm -hmm. is human ingenuity that we're all born with and it's all still there, but it's just recognizing it. Like even in business, for example, the one half of our business, that's all towards marketers and business leaders. Right. Whenever we use the word creativity, sometimes in some circumstances, they all go, nah, whatever. That's either the, the arts and crafts or the designers or the whatever. That, like, that's the creative stuff, not me. But when we've really looked in what does creativity really mean? I mean, when you think of like a business leader who's pivoting in the middle of a pandemic and changing what they, you know, the type of offering that they have as a business, that's creativity. You think about this, you know, mm. data scientist who's found a new way to just change the algorithm slightly that makes a big improve, improvement. That's creativity. You think about, yeah, that developer when they're programming and they find a way of like, you know, a new efficiency, or they think about just delivering something in a different way. Like it's all creativity. It's just the first step is, is labeling it. So I think a big part of what we need to do in this world is just let everyone know they're all creative. Capital C creativity is what drives all of us. I mean, that's why we're not robots. That's the big difference is, is that we have, the ability inside our own brains to, you know, value different things at different times rather than always the same input mm. a plus B equals C. Like we could, we could change it up and totally try new things and look at it different ways and, and change that formula. So absolutely. Step one, get everyone to believe it. <laughs> and then we're not there. And it's, it's the long road ahead of us before they even start, you know, considering themselves creative and then doing better creative acts. I think it's just a matter of like really truly believing that everyone is creative, creative deep inside. Yeah, you're totally speaking my language. My creative director or ECD in our agency, Stephen, we, we have this idea that there's creativity in everyone. And so at Made Brave, we say to everyone, um, we have 
ideas before egos. So the best idea wins no matter where it comes from. And we try and encourage everyone, no matter what role they're in, to understand that they're creative. You know, because I, I look at some people that like work in spreadsheets and I'm like, wow, how did your brain come up with that? Like my brain does not work in spreadsheets. But I also admire that, the creativity of that, that how people can do that and how they can think in those ways. And yeah, I absolutely love it. And I'm interested, how do how do you sort of instill that at Adobe? How does, you know, you know, Adobe is ultimately probably the most creative business in the world or one of, you know, sitting up alongside the likes of Apple, et cetera. How do, how do you nurture that in your teams is like, I'm interested to kind of understand what, what kind of values um, Adobe have and how you kind of, how you push creativity through all teams across the business. So it's not just the creative people that, you know, not just the guy sitting mm -hmm. in Photoshop or, you know, how, how do you, how do you instill that across the whole of that company? I'll be honest. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, because everyone mm. looks at the company from the outside and like, Oh, they stand for creativity. Therefore everyone inside there is going to be a super creative. No, like we, it's a huge company mm. of 20, whatever, 3000 yeah. people. And there's always a flow of people who came from Cisco or Salesforce or somewhere else where they were working and the way they did, it was, you know, there was not a creative culture. And so they come in and mm. are just used to doing it their way. And it's like, for me, for us, the important thing is, is creativity is a core part of our brand. It's a central part of our brand. And so mm -hmm. it's just a matter of like, for me, that's part of my job is going from group to group to group to really convince them that this is why it's important and that creativity is our distinct advantage as a brand. And that if you want to create stuff or do stuff, you yeah. have to be on brand and you can't just, you know, mm. throw some cats in a big yellow button or whatever it is that your tests in the past have done really well for web experiences, but you have to really stick to what we like our core values of creativity or believing, you know, it's almost like storytelling and sharing a vision of what's possible and what the possibilities are, and then really inspiring people. And then they get the, the whole, how the whole creativity is part of that. So I wouldn't say it's easy. You know, some people could say, Oh, you've got it easy because you know, mm -hmm. your, your brand is all creative, but it's like, it's still the same struggle. Same. It was as every agency I was at to try and tell clients, like you can be creative, you can be creative. It, you just convincing them and trying and proving out that creativity matters and makes a difference. And once they feel it, I think they finally like, oh, okay, I see the difference between just trying to be this very direct, logical, you know, B2B machine and instead say, okay, how can I be a B2B, B2C, you know, the most creative company or brand in the world, you know, that, that they, it finally sinks in, but it, it takes a lot of effort, a constant effort. Hmm. And and so when you're trying to kind of come up with ideas with your teams and you're, you know, you've got, you know, I'd imagine you'll have hundreds and thousands of briefs going on at any time. Is is there, you know, do you, do you think the smaller teams work better together? Do you think pairs work better together? You know, do you think bigger teams with cross-disciplinary thought process? I'm, I'm just interested to kind of, if there's just throughout that experience, you've worked in agencies, you've, you know, you're working at Adobe. Do you think there's a better combination of how to generate ideas? Because sometimes I know myself, sometimes, I'm, I'm better on my own. Sometimes I'm better better with like a strategist, me and, me and him coming up with ideas or me and her coming up with ideas. And sometimes it can work better when there's four or five different people. I, I, I just wonder if you come across what the best mm. combination is. Well, or and it's different of like how to move work forward versus to have creative concepting. I absolutely believe that big, huge group brainstorming sessions are the worst plague on the world. Like the, they never come up with anything good. And there is a mm. process. Like anyone who's gone through the process knows it's like, same thing, fill the well, come up with a bunch of ideas, bounce things back and forth, go back on your own, think about it some more, think really deeply, come back, 
stress and pressure test some ideas. And like that process of back and forth is critical, whether you're agency or in-house. And so absolutely it works great when you have a partner. And like you said before, it doesn't matter whether it's our strategist and a designer or two writers or a videographer and a writer, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like having, having those partnerships are, think are pretty important. And so we do a, a lot of those things. We have mm -hmm. like the individual creative partnerships. We also have like broader squads that bring in a strategist, a writer, a designer, whatever, you know, for different mm -hmm. um, projects and things. But I think one of the things that I found that's most important that works the best in my opinion is not the pool model. When you just have a whole bunch of creative or people here and then just kind of take assignments as they come in, that doesn't work. Like, I feel like you need ownership and accountability. And so everyone just needs to own a piece of yep. something. They can partner with others, but they need to own something and then have accountability towards that, that they're responsible for growing that or coming up with that or whatever it may be. And that's the big, mm -hmm. that's the big unlock for me is just to make sure however you're organized, and different groupings and broader or smaller sense, you need to make sure everyone has, has ownership on something and that they're responsible for it and are accountable for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I echo the, the big brainstorm where no one's accountable to anything mm -hmm. can just be an absolute disaster, can't it? And just sometimes those little tighter groups with clear accountability and who's, who's, who's leading the way um, tends to work uh, really well. Um, I suppose um, as a, as you've grown in your leadership journey, you know what you know. I always um, I always say to people we can't all be great at everything, and you know we, I always talk about we have a superpower, we have a we have a kryptonite, and I think as I've grown as a creative leader, I've I've learned that you know I have I definitely have kryptonite things that I'm not great at, and it's, and it's actually okay. The, the the more I've grown as a leader, I've I've become more you know. I suppose, um, confident in saying what I'm not good at. I'm interested, like, where do you find your weaknesses, Adam? You've, you've someone that's achieved so much, you know, and a lot of people listening will be thinking, how could I ever be like Adam? You know, he's writing books. He's, you know, in one of the most sought after positions, probably as a ECD and you've, you've done all the agency stuff. Like where, where, where do you feel that, you know, you, you your, your weaknesses lie in amongst <laughs> all these great strengths? It's so funny have. to hear that from the outside, because in the, even for me this morning, I think we're all the same in that we have, these, you know, it seems like strong egos, but it really deep down, we all have that imposter syndrome. We all wonder like if we're good enough, even this last week. And I'm just like, where am I going to go with my career? What am I going to do? Like, why, you know, what value do I bring to anything? And I think everyone feels that same thing. So absolutely. That's a kryptonite, like of just like kind of self doubt and not knowing if you're good enough. And in this creative roller coaster is hard. It's hard to ride this roller coaster because there's there's so many ups and downs and you're, you're so emotionally attached to some of the work or to some of the ideas. And then it's just like things live and die constantly. And you put your self-worth into those ideas. And so it's hard. I, I would say like, you know, certainly you can look at strengths. I guess one of my only strengths is just, I have a lot of energy. And so I'll just keep going and trying and keep pushing on stuff. And that's, that's maybe where I can keep, keep it up. Yeah. Um, whereas mm -hmm. the, you know, the biggest weakness is just like, yeah, self-doubt and just not knowing if you're good enough or, or trusting that you're good enough. And mm -hmm. so I have to give myself pep talks all the time and then my team pep talks all the time. And I'm sure, you know, that's, <laughs> that's just a hard part of the reality. So it's not like, I'm just like, Oh, I, I suck at this certain medium. Like I'm terrible at radio. Like it, it, it just seems silly. Like it's really about, um, yeah. 
pushing and trying and growing. And then just in spite of yourself, you know, not, not getting too depressed that you feel like you suck and you're the worst person ever at doing this. And so anyhow, that's, that's what I struggle with. And I, and I know just yeah. in working with so many creative people over the years, like it's a very common thing of just the highs and the lows are just terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're definitely doing something right. We'll, let's put it that way. Um, now, uh, obviously, the way creativity and kind of the tools and the kind of way we can earn a living via creativity, I'm, I'm really interested at the moment in kind of like the sort of TikTok revolution and the sort of kind of gig community and how it's kind of empowering lots of individual creators to be able to kind of own own their creative jobs in a way that they've never been able to before. You know, I, I love it. I feel really inspired by it when I go on TikTok and I see all these people and they've kind of, they've managed to take different passions or like niche topics that they're interested in. And they, they all seem to be able to learn the video skill sets, the photography skill sets. And, mm -hmm. you know, Adobe's a big empower of that, you know, and I, I actually, I was on the Adobe TikTok earlier today, just having a look through it and, you know, share a lot of that kind of, just, constantly sharing inspiration and kind of uh, ways and how you can do this. But I, I'm just interested kind of um, where you think the kind of the opportunities for the younger creatives lie in, in the future, because in the past, you, you know, you had to go and find your way into a, an agency if you wanted to be surrounded by creative people. And, I, and you've obviously woken up to the fact now that there's, there's jobs for creatives everywhere because brands are putting them in house and building teams and, but I'm just interested in where you think the kind of future of creative jobs is going and the kind of opportunities, you know, uh, maybe a nicer way to frame the question. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but there's a, a lot of young creatives that listen to this. And, and I know that they struggle because they, mm -hmm. they graduated during lockdown. They can't, you know, they, they've not had the same opportunities. Um, and I suppose maybe my question is kind of, you know, if you were young, if you were 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're trying to start out in the creative industry now, what, what would you be doing? Would you, would you be going after that? Do you think the opportunity lies on, you know, these platforms and kind of creating your, your own work or, or, or where do you think the opportunity lies? Oh, it's, it's a generation? tough balance. I think because the most important thing that you as a young creative can do is really fine tune the craft. You know, it's just like they talk about the 10,000 hour rule. Like, when are you going to mm -hmm. become a, a pro? And it's like, so many times we want to just be the super successful right from the start, just because you learned, you know, a couple programs or a little bit of tech. And suddenly you're like, now I need to be a TikTok star and need to, you know, be making millions. And I think step one is just first understand you need to learn the craft and really well. Now, if you're a savant and you can sit there and churn it out and churn it out faster and faster and faster constantly. And you're not messing around like most of the people in the world. Yeah. Maybe you'll get there a lot faster, which is great. So I'd say don't grow too fast beyond really learning the craft. So if, if, if you can get that down, then great. Mm -hmm. Then I would say the next step would be scale. So often, um, mm -hmm. creatives go into a business and they want to just like design stuff or write stuff. And you have to be careful because, and you know this very well as an agency, you're, we're in a service business, you know, to some extent. And I think the problem is you can get really good at the craft and then you can get some decent gigs or some jobs and just be making decent money. But it's like, you'll plateau really fast because it's a service industry and you're only paid for as many hours as you're doing the thing. Right. So for me, those who unlock it, yeah. if, if I were a creative starting out, I'd be thinking, okay, how can I get first? How do I get really good at the craft? And number two, how do I scale it? The scale is the part that's going to really make you successful. Mm. You know, some people 
can scale, you know, their writing on Medium to be able to, you know, write enough that they get, you know, a decent income from the platform. And maybe you'll be lucky that you find the right platform, whether it's TikTok or Medium or something else, right? But also, you yeah. know, those who have learned to scale the value of their of their work, you know, you think like the fine artists where they only paint a little bit or do a little bit and then it's worth so much more. So how do you either increase the value of your work or increase the scale where you can be making, you know, I'll give you an example of scale. A guy who I know is designer designs stickers for board games that you just apply to board games for the, you know, that industry. And now he's got the scale because he just puts it on Etsy and he's selling, you know, and making, you know, six figures every year just from all the stickers he already designed. Right. So how do you find the scale without having it just be an industry? You have to well, and what are stickers for board games? What do you mean? Uh, like if you look at like there's a huge craze of board games right now, all these Euro games over the last decade. So there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new board games mm -hmm. coming out. And they'll usually have little wooden pieces or parts that are just plain. So he designed stickers that you put on those parts oh, to make okay. it come okay, to life okay. a little bit better. And it looks, it's more aesthetic, Customizing. right? And maybe he only had to design those once and then puts them yeah. on the store and sells, you know, dozens of those packs all the time. So it's like he yeah. found the way to scale his design without being famous, without being a big artist, without being a whatever, you know, it's just finding that scale. So I'd say learn the craft, learn to scale, or at least learn to add value to your craft so that it's worth more than just, you know, what you put into it. Because it's the same amount of work to do a $1,000 mm -hmm. job as a $50,000 job. So finding the value in your work and how you can sell that value, mm -hmm. I think is equally important. That's a really good tip. A really, really good tip. I'm, I'm going I'm gonna, <laughs> to staying in there, staying in there. So what, um, Adam, what about the future for you then? What does the future I hold? Do you have some books, books on the way uh, or what's coming up? I'm revealing too much of it, but um, a book series on that starts out as like, how do you improve your craft? And then how do you improve your team? How do you improve your company? How do you improve the industry? You know, th four different books in a series on creativity that I'm, mm. I've been working on. Um, but that's not the big thing. Those are like little side for funsies stuff. I mean, really, I'm trying to do my best at Adobe and wherever that path takes me, you know, I want to still keep, you know, I love my job and I love sure. um, that type of a role. So I'll keep, I'll keep at it from that point of view. But um, I don't know if you truly ask me what I want to do when I grow up, I want to be a landlord and get into real estate. And this might be a good opportunity in the next couple of years. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm thinking about on the side. <laughs> Yeah, nice, nice. Well, it sounds like a great place to end, um, yeah. and I'm conscious of your time. So, um, yeah, where, where can people find you if they if they want to find your book, if they want to oh, follow yeah, you? Where, where so do you want to point them? My website, adamwmorgan.com. Um, the W, because there's just Adam Morgan is too common of a name. So my publisher said that's what you got to use. So Adam W. Morgan. There you'll find, you can see some of my articles on Medium. You can find out about the book, buy it at Amazon, any other, you know, online place. That's, that's, or where I'm speaking. I do a lot of speaking. Um, but otherwise, Real Creative Leadership is my video podcast that I'm putting a lot of effort into. Mm -hmm. um, we're into season three. So Real Creative Leadership, or you can find it on YouTube or any of your podcasts, great. all those great things. But those are the two places, Adam W. Morgan or realcreativeleadership.com. Perfect. And we'll remember and post some links down below when we post this as well. So thank you so much, Adam. You've been an absolute pleasure to listen to. A very interesting. And I'm I'm off to order your book is the next task for me. I read the I read all the snippets that you give away on the website and I'm now um very good. eagerly. I, I would waiting love to hear to your feedback once you do read it. Myself, Just let so. me know what you think. Love some feedback. Okay.
Oh, all right. Absolutely. Thank you all. Absolutely. We'll see you. Well, thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Andrew here. And thanks so much for listening. As we said at the start, we hope to inspire creativity and bravery in you. So if this podcast has helped you in any way or if it's inspired you to do something brave, we want to hear about it. Drop us an email at hello at justachatwith.com. And who knows, maybe we'll feature you on a future episode. If you want to support the podcast, please rate, subscribe and write us a review and help us get the word out. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.